Amen. That's a beautiful song. Well, it's a privilege to be with you. My name is uh, Joshua Mack, and I'm just so thankful for the time that I'm able to spend with Grace Church of Orange. I'm, I'm really grateful for your pastor. Pastor Mike has been a, a good older brother uh, to me over the years and just really uh, excited about what the Lord's doing here at Grace Church. So thankful for the team, that, uh, the teams actually that have come over the past several years. They've been an encouragement to our church, an encouragement to me personally. Um, John Bishop is probably the friendliest, unfriendly person I've ever met. Uh, he's a, just a really sweet guy to have over. We're so thankful for the whole team and, and for their care for us and really thankful for the Clarks. Uh, Randy has been and Susan have been such servants and uh, they've been really faithful representatives of Christ, willing to do whatever for the cause of Christ that Jesus might be honored and, and uh, God might be glorified. And so we're just really thankful to you for sending them out. And I'm also uh, so grateful for the privilege of preaching God's word. And that's what we want to do, spend some time looking at God's word. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus, the book of Titus. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And Pastor Mike was telling me that we stand here at Grace Church while we read the word. So if you would stand, I'll read Titus 2, 11 through 14 for us. Paul says here, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. That is God's word. And uh, you may be seated. So thankful that God speaks. And I wanted us to, to look at this passage together a little today and, and talk about how the gospel gives us hope for change. So I want to talk about change, why we believe people can change, uh, really change substantial change. In other words, why we believe uh, people can become different in practice, in real life. And, and one of the reasons I want us to look at how the gospel gives us hope for change is because of the fact that a lot of people don't have hope for change. A lot of people don't believe that people can change at a fundamental heart level. Maybe they believe that you can change your economic position. That's kind of the American dream, I suppose. But not change their desires. It's almost like you are who you are, just learn to, to live with it. That's how you came into the world. It's useless to fight it. In fact, in fact it seems like it's almost becoming offensive to say that someone can change. If you want to make people angry, for example, you might talk about someone who struggles with certain desires changing. And there's actually a lot of pressure on us as a church not to believe in change. It's a hopeless world, and a hopeless world wants everyone else to be hopeless. And so there is a lot of pressure on us not to believe in change. And sometimes, really, I think if we're just going to be super honest with one another, I wonder even how many of you have wondered if they just might be right. Can, can people actually change? I mean, obviously, superficial changes, we all believe that, 
can happen. But I'm talking about fundamental, way down deep, at the heart level, changes. Is it really possible for someone who has struggled in a significant way with certain sins for a long time to change? And that can be especially hard when you're looking at people who are struggling with sins that are different than, your, than yours. Which is part of what I love about Titus chapter 2, actually, because I'm pretty sure if there was one group of people in the ancient world that people would have looked at and wondered if they could change, if change was possible, it would have been people on the island of Crete. People didn't have a lot of hope for Cretans changing. And the fact is, even Cretans didn't have a lot of hope for Cretans We're looking at Titus chapter 2, but Paul quotes one of their prophets in chapter 1, verse 12, who said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And what gets me, of course, is that word always. People didn't have a lot of hope for Cretans changing, but when it came to the church and to Cretan believers, Paul definitely did. In fact, one of the reasons Paul left Titus in Crete was to help the church Learn to change. One of the things we see that he's calling Titus to do throughout this letter is to teach the church how to live in a way that matches up with the gospel that they embrace. That's actually chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul writes, But as for you, in in contrast to the false teachers who just kind of say what people want to hear and allow them to live how they want to live, Titus, you need to be different than that. But in contrast to that, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Not just teach sound doctrine, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, you need to help the church learn, now that they're believers, how to live in a way that is suitable with what the Scripture teaches. Which means, Titus, you're going to have to help the believers on Crete truly change. And what I want to ask today as we look at these verses before us is, if the whole world was looking at the Cretans and saying, ah, Cretans are always like that. Why is it that Paul had such hope for real and lasting change? Now, of course, I don't want you to misunderstand because Paul doesn't think it's going to be easy. There's a lot that Titus is going to have to do. That's kind of why he's writing this letter. And Paul recognizes that there's going to be all kinds of resistance. This was going to be a fight. It was a supernatural warfare. But at the end of the day, Paul's convinced that these believers can learn to live in a way that is so different than how they did before, that in everything they do, Paul says, they can actually, verse 10, adorn or make beautiful the gospel of God, which is awesome. I mean, to go from being the kind of people that the world dismisses to living the kind of lives that actually make others stop and notice and say the gospel is beautiful is awesome, and yet the fact is there are a lot of people who are not going to think that's realistic or even possible for the Cretans or even for us. And so they might ask, how is it, Paul, that you have any hope for that? What is it that gives you confidence that that can happen? And we find Paul's answer in verse 11 of chapter 2 where he writes, for or because. That's how he Begins, verse 11, 4, and this is what this verse is about. Titus, get in there and teach all these different kinds of people how to change for. Now, I've always kind of read these verses as if Paul was primarily motivating the believers in Crete why they could change, the old women and the old men and the 
the young women and the slaves. I always read Paul here as saying, for this is why you can change. But I think if you look a little more closely, while that's true, Paul is primarily addressing Titus and the leaders of the church. This letter, obviously, is even addressed to Titus. And he's been telling Titus that he's supposed to get in there and work with these believers and help them understand how to live in a way that honors God, which, if you think about where Titus was ministering, was going to be difficult. And I have to believe that Paul knew as Titus was getting in there and working with people and doing this grinding kind of daily work of discipleship as an outsider in this culture, which, which had such a bad reputation, there was going to be a temptation for Titus to look at these people he was working with and to wonder whether or not they could actually change. Paul, is this even possible, what you're asking me to do? So Paul here pauses in order to give Titus some reasons why he could be confident change was possible. And even more than that, for believers, why it was certain. That's what this passage is about. In such a sinful world with such sinful people, what are the reasons we can be confident enough to go out there and share the gospel and teach the word and work with people and expect that there's any hope for them to change? For, Paul says, this is why. And this is actually important if you look down on it. For, he, he, he says, the grace of God. It's the grace of God that gave Paul hope. You need to say that right at at the beginning. Paul didn't have hope that people could change because of people. Paul was realistic about people. You think you know people. Paul knew people. He wrote Romans chapter 3 after all. In fact, even up in verse 13 of chapter 1, after quoting that one prophet who was talking about what the Cretans were like, you know what Paul says in verse 13? He says, this testimony is true. He, I get it. Cretans are difficult. He wasn't naive about what Cretans were like. It's just that Paul didn't stop with what Cretans were like. Paul was a man with a realistic view of the sinfulness of people and a big view of the grace of God. Because if all we did was focus on people and what they can do. We would have no hope for the kind of change that Paul describes. But of course, Paul won't let us focus only on ourselves and other people and what we can do. He takes us back to God and to what God has done. And he says, for the grace of God has appeared. And that word appeared, it reminds us he's talking about a historical event, which I think is important actually. This is not just some idea out there for Paul, the grace of God, like it's a concept. Oh, the grace of God, that gives me hope. No, he's talking about an actual point in time in history where the creator of this world broke in to this world in a stunning way to demonstrate his kindness. And of course, he's talking about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's not just telling Titus that he should go in there and help these people because he's a, a, some kind of do-gooder who really has a hopeful view of what just a little bit more education can accomplish. No, as, as Christians, everything we are, everything Paul was about, everything we're about centers in on this. This is why we have hope. It flows out of this. Something has happened. Something has actually happened. The grace of God has appeared. And I think sometimes we get tired and we give up on people, and we don't stick with the work of sharing the gospel and reaching out and teaching because we haven't been gripped with the significance of that reality the way Paul was. 
Paul wasn't telling Titus to work hard on, on discipling and teaching in Crete because he was an optimist. I just think, you know, Titus, if you just try a little harder, you stay a little longer, maybe those people will want to change this time. No, that's not what's going on. Instead, Paul was gripped with the significance of what God had done through Christ. And I want us to be gripped by that. I want us to see what Paul saw in the gospel and this historical reality so that we too will have the kind of hope that Paul did to pursue change ourselves and, and to take the gospel out so that others can change. And specifically, as we look at this text, I want us to see three hope-filled truths that Paul shows us about the grace of God that's appeared, this grace that gives us hope that we can make the gospel look beautiful as a church, that gives us hope that people can change. And the first hope-filled truth is this, God intended his grace to bring salvation for all kinds of people. God intended his grace to bring salvation for all kinds of people. In verse 11, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared. And that's like his theme statement. And then he gets specific, bringing salvation for all people. And it's kind of like with Paul, we're just looking back at this inbreaking of God's grace into the world. And we're asking, what can we learn from what happened about how we should view the ministry we're involved in now? And Paul's saying one of the things that we can learn is that it is God who brings salvation and God brings that salvation for all people. Now you have to think about that because I think we, we miss it. Salvation's a really intense word. It means rescue. The grace of God brings deliverance. If we look back at what God's done through Christ, we see that it assumes that something was really wrong with all of us. Otherwise, God could have just sent instructions. It could have been the grace of God appeared bringing instructions. But we're so broken that the grace of God had to appear at a point in time in history to bring salvation. And that's really the only way that any of us can change. There's no real change apart from this salvation, which is part of what gives me hope that people can change because there isn't anyone out there anywhere who changes simply through their own efforts. It's always only through this salvation that the grace of God brings. And I'm trying to say, I find sometimes if you go to minister the gospel to certain people, maybe people who are really down and out, that even Christians will sometimes look at you and they'll tell you, oh, you know those people. You're not going to get very far with people like that. As if there were certain groups of people that were easier than others. And whenever people say that, look, I'm just thinking to myself, dead's dead. It always takes a miracle. We, We don't need someone telling us these people are really a bad kind of people because we're all a bad kind of people. There's not a good kind of people to work with. We all need saving. And so if you think there's a a certain group of people out there that are so good, they can kind of take care of themselves with just a little bit of training perhaps, then you better read this passage again because Paul is saying we were all in such a desperate position that we needed God in his kindness to break in and bring salvation. And if you think there's a certain kind of people out there that are so bad they can't be delivered, then you better read this passage again because Paul is saying God brought this salvation for all people. Which is why it's kind of funny if someone comes to us and says, you know what, I don't think you realize how desperate a situation these people find themselves in. As if 
that was an excuse for not reaching out to them. They're in such trouble, you know. They, they can't fix themselves. That's what they're saying. And obviously, we don't need someone to tell us these people aren't able to fix their lives because we weren't able to fix our lives either. No one can. Otherwise, they wouldn't need the grace of God to bring salvation. So when we look around and, and we look at people and we're tempted to come up with reasons why these kind of people can't change and why we shouldn't have hope for certain kinds of people, many, if not most, of the reasons are, in fact, part of the whole motivation for what God is doing in the gospel. For the grace of God appeared bringing salvation. It is God who does the saving. And what makes this salvation so exciting that God has provided to Paul and to us is that he came bringing this salvation for all people. Which I think is actually the emphasis if you look down at the text. It's not just that he brought salvation, it's that he brought salvation for all people, which is not too difficult to understand. If you look back to the beginning of chapter 2, you can see what Paul's getting at because before he talks about the grace of God bringing salvation, he's been telling Titus that he's supposed to work with all different kinds of people there in the church. You need to teach what accords with sound doctrine, and you need to teach it to all these different groups, men, women, rich, poor, old, young, Jew, Gentile. And it's like Paul here, who's a Jew, writing to Greeks, and even to Titus, who was a Gentile, is just enjoying the fact that while for so many years he thought when the Messiah come, he would, came, he would only come for, for Jewish people. In the gospel, he's come to discover that God sent this Savior not only for Jews but also for Gentiles and not just for a certain kind of Gentile either, not just for the elite, the educated, the rich, the important, you name it. The salvation God provided was for for all kinds of people from all kinds of places with all kinds of different backgrounds and Paul never got over that. Where we've got all these categories we, we put people in and that's just the way the world works, to divide Oh, you're this and you're that. God's approach is so different than the world's. When the grace of God appeared, it appeared bringing God's saving power for all kinds of people. Not just people who act like me or people who look like you. It's sad, but sometimes even as Christians, we act like the gospel's only for a person who looks a certain way or who comes from a certain kind of background. We might not think that the gospel's only for Jews, but... We sometimes act like the gospel is only for people like us. And yet when we actually look at the gospel and we consider the way Jesus acted when he came into this world, we see that he actively and deliberately pursued the kinds of people no one else would. If we look back to what actually happened when the grace of God appeared, we see the grace of God, Jesus, went after all kinds of people. Seems like sometimes he was constantly drawing to himself the worst of the worst. The prostitutes, the, the Roman collaborators, the leprous outcasts, the demon-possessed, and, and on and on. And that's because, he tells us, the Spirit builds the kingdom not with the noble or the powerful, but with the lame, the marred, the hopeless. When the grace of God broke into this world, it went after all kinds of people. And when God in his grace appointed men to take that message out, he specifically told them to take that message to all nations as well, which is why we don't just have hope for people from certain backgrounds changing. We don't just have hope for people who don't really have bad habits changing. We don't just have hope for people who are educated changing because we don't believe that God's salvation only came for a certain kind of person. 
we know this salvation is intended for all kinds of people. Looking back to what God has done through Jesus gives us hope that all kinds of people can change because God intended his grace to bring salvation to all kinds of people. But that's not all, actually. If you look down at the text again, you'll see a a second hope-producing truth about the grace of God. And this has to do with what the grace of God is doing now. Second, God demonstrates his grace by continuing to actively train people. Paul says, verse 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now catch this, training us. And the word training means discipling or, or teaching. It's in the present tense. So Paul is saying, God's grace does something now. The same grace that came to save us is now working to train us. It's not just a a past historical event, the grace of God. It's a present reality. Paul's, he's focusing on our lives as believers and he's reminding us God hasn't left us on our own as a church. The grace of God has moved into our lives and the grace of God is tutoring us. He's not just dumping information on us. The grace of God has moved into our hearts and he's devoted himself to teaching us what we need to know to live holy lives. And as we go about doing ministry, it's really, really important that we don't ever forget that. Because the fact is, it is easy to. It is easy to forget that God is in this thing when it comes to spiritual growth. It's not just you and that person and their Bible and their problem. If that person is saved, God is at work in their life. You might call this the great now of the gospel. Heard someone once say, there is a then, there is a now, and there is a then to the gospel. There's a past then, and we sometimes make a big deal out of that then. We look back to the past at what the grace of God has done. And there's a future then, and we sometimes are good at thinking about that, remembering how Jesus is going to come and save us. But it seems like it's very easy for us to forget that in the middle of those two great events, the past then and the future then, there's also a now to the gospel. The grace of God is at work changing us. In other words, God did not only save us, and God will not only save us, God is saving us. It's not just you talking and that person trying, it is God transforming, which is what gives us hope in our own lives. And as we go to work with others, this is why we believe people can change. It's not because of something in us, or even necessarily something about them and their abilities. It's because of something we know to be true about the grace of God. I know sometimes as you work with people, their problems seem so complicated. And you're like, how can I help you change? How can I, how, I, I, how, I don't even know what to say. But the reason that we can teach and you can disciple and we can talk to each other about the word of God with a kind of eager expectation about what is going to happen is not because we're such amazing teachers or evangelists or disciplers. Because if we were left to ourselves, there's no way we would be of help to people. But we're not just left to ourselves. That's the point. You are teaching. But Paul says here down in verse 12, so is God. And you are counseling. And yet Paul says down here in verse 12, so is God. And if they're a Christian, God is way, way more committed to their transformation than you will ever be. 
No matter how committed you are to another believer changing, God is much more committed than you are. In fact, while it's true God may be using you to teach them, ultimately God is the one who is training them. And in fact, what's beautiful, if you look down again at verse 12, you see the very things that Titus is supposed to teach these believers in Crete about, God is already at work in their lives, teaching them. Paul told Titus in verses 1 through 10, look, Titus, I want you to teach them these things. And the reason I want you to teach them these things, he says in verse 12, is because God is already teaching them these things. Teach them to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled lives because the grace of God is at work in them, training them to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Which is such a, a beautiful promise. And I'm just trying to encourage you here. If you're a believer, Paul's saying God has committed himself to this. The grace of God has moved into your life to train you, to teach you, which gives us some serious confidence. In fact, I was thinking recently, there's, there's a lot of things that we hope for our church that we don't have any promises about. Like for our church, we would love a facility, but we don't, can't turn to a Bible verse that says we're going to someday get a facility. A lot of those dreams that we might have for our church, we don't have any actual specific promises from God about But this dream, this dream of helping believers live lives that makes the gospel look beautiful, we do have a promise. We have a promise that God himself is at work teaching this. And of course, that should give us great hope because what God wants to happen, happens. That's almost even worthy of an amen. What God wants to happen, happens. And you know, one thing God really wants to happen in your life if you're a believer, is your spiritual growth. He wants to make you look as beautiful as he is. He wants to make you holy. And we see his commitment in verses 13 and 14 where Paul describes us as waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which you have to kind of catch what Paul's doing here. It's like he was looking back at the grace of God, at what happened. He says, oh yeah, the grace of God appeared. And then he calls us to look around at what is happening. He's saying the grace of God didn't just appear, the grace of God is training us. And now he shifts our attention once again to what's going to happen. And he says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to return. And this is really important because sometimes when you're working with people, you get so focused on the people that all you can think about is the difficult realities that you're seeing That's all you can see. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You you have to look at all these other realities like this one. Jesus is coming back. And I wonder if you can imagine it. The way Paul describes it, you see it here. He he talks about glory. He moves from grace to glory. And think about his glory. Think about that day when Jesus returns, when he's revealed from heaven. You might have a lot of questions about what Jesus can do right now, but do you think you'll have any questions about his power then? When you see him revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, do you think there will be anyone who questions the power of Jesus then? No, we will be in awe of his power. And Paul's saying, as you think about that day, and as you think about his power, and as you think about his glory, and as you think about the way it's going to be revealed then, now start looking at the people around you. 
the people that you wonder about, the people that you question whether or not they can change. Because Paul tells us in verse 14, this is in fact why Jesus came in the first place. This Jesus, Paul says, who's going to appear in future glory, appeared in the past for the purpose of changing us as believers. And this is so important because when you wonder whether or not believers can change, you're not actually wondering whether or not they have the ability to change. You're really wondering whether or not Jesus has the ability to change people. Because when we think about the grace of God, we sometimes think about it in such vague terms, like it's a substance or something. But as Paul talks about the grace of God in this passage, he's speaking of the grace of God as a person, a glorious person, Jesus. And that's why we have such confidence as believers that people can change. It's because we have confidence in Jesus. And we know this Jesus who we're waiting for and who we'll see in glory. This Jesus gave himself for us to set us free from all lawlessness and to cleanse us, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so when you wonder, and you know you're working with people, you wonder whether or not this person can change. You have to look back on the grace of God. Why did Jesus come? He intended his grace for all kinds of people. Then you have to look at what's going on now. God demonstrates his grace by actively training people. And then you have to look forward. God shows his grace through radically transforming people. This is his plan. Jesus gave himself for us to accomplish something. There's a day coming when his victory will be made clear to the world. Everyone will know he didn't just die in defeat. He's won. He's victorious. And that victory is going to be revealed. And because we look forward to that day, we know now that his death was meaningful. It's part of a certain plan that was already written by God. It can accomplish and it will accomplish exactly what he wanted it to accomplish. And what did he want it to accomplish, Paul tells us. Verse 14, He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. In other words, to set us free from living rebellious lives. But he didn't just stop there. He gave himself to purify us, to cleanse us, to set us apart. Why do we work so hard on teaching Christians to live set-apart lives? Because we're set apart already. And we're not just set apart for no purpose. We're set apart like this for the purpose of belonging to Jesus himself, which is what gives us hope as we look at the church. Because these people don't belong to us. They belong to Jesus. And, of course, Jesus is going to accomplish the work he wants to accomplish in them. And what is the work that he wants to accomplish in them? He wants them to be a people who are zealous, and that means energetic for doing good. In other words, Jesus came and died that his people might be truly and thoroughly changed, set free, purified, zealous for good works. And the question I'm asking you is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because the truth is, it's not always easy to believe when you're just looking at people and their problems. In fact, sometimes as you go out there to help people, you become so discouraged, you wonder, man, can this person ever change? And apart from Christ, no. That's why we take them the gospel. Because we look back and we see the grace of God appeared for all kinds of people. And if in Christ, can they change if they're a Christian? I'm going to be straight with you. Even then, it's sometimes hard to believe. Even then. And what I'm saying is, if you're you're 
be looking at people, and maybe you're even looking at yourself, and you're just wondering, can this kind of person change? That is a serious moment for you. That is a serious moment for us as a church. Can this person change? Can I change? Because look, if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that God can change people, we don't believe the gospel. And we have no reason to exist as a church. Because this is kind of why we're here. In a sense, this is the heart of the Great Commission. Go, Jesus says, and make disciples, followers. How? By proclaiming the gospel, seeing them converted, and identifying them with a local church, which we can summarize by saying, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is our mission as a church. In other words, we're here to proclaim the gospel, to start local churches, and to help people change. Not just because we're such optimistic people. Not just because we're naive about what people are like. We know what people are like. Not just because we have a really good you know, idea that maybe this will work to change people. No, because something has happened. The grace of God has appeared. Because something is happening. The grace of God is at work training us, and we see it. And because something will happen, the glory of God will be revealed in the face of Christ. And as we look forward to that day in the future, it gives us hope in the now that this Jesus who will be set up and identified as king of kings, who is the king of kings, this exalted Jesus will accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish, which is the total transformation of his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so, so grateful for the gospel. Help us never to get bored by it. Help us never to stop being amazed by it. We live in a hopeless world. Everybody wants us to be hopeless. They're promoting hopelessness. They get angry at us if we're not hopeless. Lord, but we have hope, not because we're naive about people or super proud about ourselves, the opposite. We have hope because we know you did something, you're doing something, and you will do something. Help us to be a church that doesn't just say that on Sundays, but believes it throughout the week and lives it. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.